The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome, welcome. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show, The Visual Workplace, and it is all about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system, our intelligence, into the living landscape of work through visual devices, how to install the language of our current level of operational excellence, even if we are not quite as excellent as we wish we were or as we know we will be. We install that level, we make it concrete and specific through visual devices and visual mini systems, and then we can literally see how we think. And we can predict how that thinking will perform because the devices have captured it. This is our language. The devices is, in a way, they are like words in a sentence or they're like the sentences in the paragraphs. They bring our intelligence into the dynamic system we call the shop floor or in the hospital, the ward, or in an office, the workplace itself, where we are doing our administration or engineering or whatever. We do work and the visual workplace is our partner. Workplace visuality. And why do we bother? We bother for the sizable bottom line benefits Improve safety, better quality, more aligned delivery time, shrinking costs. Yes, visuality is a waste reduction strategy, but it is also a premier strategy for cultural alignment and all of the benefits in safety, quality, delivery time, and shrinking costs that come from aligned work, aligned with other organizational functions, and aligned, if I may say, with ourselves. So we do it for those bottom line benefits and for the cultural, splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels. And we do it so we can enjoy ourselves at work. We actually look forward to going to work. We bring all of ourselves to work and we enjoy ourselves along the way because the struggle disappears when visual workplace is in place and we flow. So that's why. And I want to welcome you. Well, that sounds really appealing, doesn't it? Really seductive. I want one like that. So welcome. And this becomes a call-in show, by the way, when you call in or you can email us at radio at visualworkplace.com. You can find us at visualworkplace.com. That's our website. Lots and lots of things there that are free for you to learn about visuality. If you become a member, which is free, there are lots of goodies 
in the free member box, in the member box, and we will be adding to those. We have a bright new campaign beginning in September where they're going to be very, very valuable things in that box at huge, huge discounts. And we'll be saying more about this in our, in our weekly newsletter, The Visual Thinker. I, by the way, am going to be taking the next five weeks off. I am working on a new book, and I need really uninterrupted time. And so we will see you in September, but there will be a show every week. And that show will be some of my favorites or some of your favorites. You've written in and told us you like this show, you like that show, or we've seen the pattern of downloads for our podcasts And that will govern our choices as well. So please stay tuned, stay with The Visual Workplace, and keep getting your newsletter, The Visual Thinker, which you can sign up for on our website, visualworkplace.com. We like all of that. (laughs) So um, let us begin our show for today. Our show for today is the eighth and the final in our series on The Hero Within. We conclude the series with what we talk about today, that hero being that part of us that wants to do something distinctive, that wants to make a contribution and wants to feel that singular experience of expressing oneself and at the same time going beyond oneself. I call that being a hero. Helping our hero within come out It's not a question of competition. This isn't a competitive effort. We're not trying to do do something better or longer or faster. You do that in sports. And then you go on to win Olympic medals against all odds. Yes, there is heroism in that. And we, the spectators, are thrilled along with you. But the hero that I'm talking about in this series is the hero at work. Heroes at work that experience themselves as exceptional while they're doing their work, as part of their day-to-day, as part of their job. They add value and they add something more. They add something more of themselves. I like to say it, they make a contribution. Being unique and exceptional is not the goal, but being responsive is. Not really superior in any way, and yet noteworthy, outstanding. The hero simply responds to the full capacity that he or she is capable of. And in using that capacity, she or he discovers that they have more. They have more capacity than they expected. Ready or not, they have more. And the hero becomes exceptional to himself. What a surprise. We see something of ourselves in work that is additional to work, that helps us with our work. But we can say, that's me. That's me. If you remember the poem that I've often read on the show from Gerard Manley Hopkins, an Irish priest who had a tremendous gift for understanding how life works. And he said in this final line of the poem, What I do is me, for that I came. What I do is me, for that I came. This tremendous power within. 
Why not also at work? Why is that not part of the empowerment equation? I think it is. We bring ourselves shining and contributing to work. You know, I'm remembering a story that my friend Norman told me many, many years ago. We were touring a GM plant in Detroit, and, well, you already know that this was decades ago because there isn't much of GM left in Detroit. Anyway, we were moseying along, looking at things and thinking about things, amazed and unamazed. You know how these tours are when you go through someone, someone's plant. You look around, and Norman was dawdling. I didn't know what he was up to, but it was hanging in the back. I moved forward with the group, and seven or ten minutes later, Norman catches up, and, he, and I ask him, I said, where were you? What, were you? what took you so long? And he said, I was watching an operator put a fender in place. And when it was all set, when he had the fender in place, he did something really, really amazing. And of course, I said, what? What did he do? He took his mallet out, bent over, reached under the, fen- the fender and gave it a whack, gave it a big whack. He dented the fender on the inside where nobody could see it. I saw him with my own eyes, says Norman. This is my friend Norman Bodek, who you may, not, you may, you may know. He is uh, a really important person who got improvements started based on Japan's uh, methodologies back in the early 1980s. We worked with each other for a while, and it was really a ride, a trip. So Norman is telling me this. He dented it. I said, no kidding. And so Norman goes on to say what he did next. He said, I went over and I asked him. I said, oh, excuse me, can I interrupt? Yep. And uh, the guy said, yeah, you can interrupt. And uh, and so Norman said, um, I wonder why you did that. And the guy says, did what? That what? I wonder why you banged the under part of the fender with that mallet. I didn't do anything like that, says the guy. No, 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 I saw you do it. No, 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 I did, I saw you do it. No, I didn't do it. And he, start get, he starts getting defensive, and Norman says, oh, don't worry. I'm not thinking for a minute about reporting you. I, I'm just curious. I'm a visitor. I don't have any ties with your management. I'm just visiting the plant, and I, I want to know why did you do it? So there must have been something about Norman that got this guy to open up. And the guy looked him dead in the eye. This is Norman reporting. And he said, I do it to every fender I assemble. Every one. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because that part of the fender is me. That's me. And that's the only part of this job that is me. I've been here for 31 years And this is the only part that is me, and I do it every time. Oh, my God. It was so clear. What I do is me, for that I came. We find a way. Tremendous story, tremendous insight. We find a way. We have to find a way. Because we're given this vast resource on the inside of us. And sometimes we use it for our hobbies and sports and to build a beautiful home, beautiful sense of family. But we spend a lot of time at work. And that power doesn't say, oh, you know, I think I'll just uh, stay home. Don't feel like going to work today. I'll stay home and do something powerful. No, we take it to work with us. Mm -hmm. 
that's who we are, you and me and everybody else who's listening all over the world. So we're going to pick up this story after our first break, and I'll tell you what happens next. I'll be here when you get back. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. You're at the second part of our show today at the Visual Workplace, and we are wrapping up our series on the hero within and talking about this power that is within each of us that can be used for the company's benefit. And if it isn't used for the company's benefit, if it isn't harnessed, it sometimes turns against the company and it often turns against us. We do start doing weird things. And I was saying to you, I was very struck, this was about 20 years ago, by a story, I beg your pardon, it was about 35 years ago, I was very struck by a story that my friend Norman Bodek told me about the behavior of a GM um, operator on the line who was assembling and who whacked a dent on the inside, non-visible side of the fenders that he installed because that was part of him. And he said it, he said, because that part is me. It's the only part of this job that is. Let me read you the poem that I mentioned before. And if you're a regular listener, this is probably the 10th time in six six years, because we're we're going into our sixth year now, 10th time that I've read it. It's called As Kingfishers Catch Fire. And by the way, Gerard Manley Hopkins was an Irish priest, and he somehow he understood the world. This is what he wrote. Kingfishers are these beautiful birds that dive into ponds after fish, but they are very flashy and flamboyant. They're gorgeous. And he says, As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy well stones ring, like each tuck string tells, 
Each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue, to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being, indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks in spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I'm just going to read that last part. Deals out that being, indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks in spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. This is it. And I'm going to ask our newsletter editor, the wonderful Cindy Linden, to run the poems in case you want to see what the whole thing looks like. So it is a question of the heart, and it is a question of the mind, because that's where we're powerful. The mind that's in the heart, the heart that's in the mind, and what are you going to do about it if you're a manager? Because I, as an operator, can't do anything about it. I am tied to your will, manager. Only you can set it up. And this is something that I want to say to you. We're going to be talking about a change of mindset for management and the change of mindset for the operator. But the change of mindset for management, CEO, plant manager, VP of culture of operations has to come first. Has to come first. It is management's responsibility, if it chooses to, to cultivate the hero within, to cultivate the hero within, because it's there waiting, waiting to express, waiting to contribute. And if the corporate vision doesn't hold that in it, it will be overlooked. This is a take on employee alignment and empowerment that is a little bit more direct than just say continue than just saying that continuous improvement is a good thing. It's good for our bottom line. It's good for our work culture because that's good for our bottom line. It's going beyond that. It's saying, in a way, there's a fiduciary responsibility. It is a matter of faithfulness that managers take on the responsibility of cultivating people so that this expressiveness, which is a part hardwired in, this expressiveness can come out. It will come out for the benefit of the company. We're not going to be... uh, painting Picassos on the wall. This will come out in creativity that supports the corporate intent. If it is part of your vision, managers, if it isn't, it will be neglected. And you're still responsible for it. You're still responsible for those lives that are waiting to become greater because the company provides for it. And this right now is being worked out in a thousand different ways throughout companies all around the world. So I'm in a way not saying anything you don't already know, but I might be using perhaps some different words for it. And for those of you who are thinking about it, perhaps the words that I'm using, perhaps they've put you off, but perhaps they'll stimulate you or excite you or open up a greater meaning to let's get people on board. What is a spirited and engaged workforce? So I say to managers, when you are so often amazed that line operators make contributions and want to make contributions that go beyond their job description, beyond what they get hired to do, 
managers are surprised to learn that about individuals that we want to make a contribution. And I say, don't be surprised. I mean, you can, of course, for a moment, but be delighted and be grateful. There is a hero within. It's within you, yes. And your boss is there to assist you. Whether it's the big, big boss or your direct, the person you report to. But beyond being delight, delighted and a little bit surprised, change your mind. Change your mind so that it accepts what people are capable of. This desire to contribute, this desire for excellence, this appetite. And accept that you have to make it part of your corporate intent. This has to become the truth for you, solid and undeniable, that we are hardwired for it. Not just engineers and your peers, people already in highly creative roles, but those who day in, day out do routine tasks, repetitive, they do it reliably, and they do it day after day. They are the same as you. We are the same as you. You, in these high-level positions, you seek stability and certainty and predictability. (laughs) Enough already with having to create solutions to the unforeseen. Every week there's another crisis. You want the stability. Well, it's different for an operator. An operator has the stability, the certainty, the predictability, the repetitiveness of standard work, especially if your operational leadership has put a great premium on standardization and standard work. I get the routine part, but give me a little bit of challenge, a little bit of unpredictability, a little bit of the unknown, something that requires a creative response so I can be creative because I'm a creative being Hmm? so that I can be a hero so that I can find new muscles and exercise them and discover new things about myself and about my world and that process of discovery at work is me and it is my life at work what would it be like so this first part of change your mindset I'm directing to managers and I have a few more things to say about it and then I'm going to talk to people who are being managed, who need to report to someone about their outcomes, results, performance. But right now we're talking about a change of mind and heart, if you will, of mind and heart for management. And I say again, many who are listening right now are already doing this 100%. I'm not sure I've ever read in a corporate vision, we want to make heroes out of the people who work with us. This is part of our commitment. But you've got something comparable. You do something for that power. And that power, by the way, I also called I, I I-driven. It's the power of the individual will. We're talking about creativity at work because the alternative actually causes death. (laughs) Uh, And I'm talking about boredom. Study after study shows that humans, us, are far more capable than most of the jobs we're asked to do. That That understanding came to us back in the 1980s when we looked at what Japan was doing and how different that was than how we set up our businesses. And we said, well, what about us? What are we 
What am I, chopped liver? I can do that too. (laughs) It sprung out of that growing awareness that people are not only capable of more, they have to do more. And it is easy to think about boredom as simply the lack of stress and stimulation. But in fact, research, and this particular research was done at the University of Waterloo in the UK, demonstrated that boredom is actually a state of stress that for most people, we're talking about boredom, lack of stimulation, creates a state of stress. That the levels of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, rise when boredom is there or is induced. Who knew? Another study, another UK study, this was from 2010, is a very famous study done by the University of London, worked with questionnaires completed by nearly 8,000 civil servants. This is uh, in, the, in the late 1980s, 1990s. They looked at these questionnaires, and these folks, these civil servants, aged between 35 and 55. And then they tracked them based on the level or the degree of bo- boredom that was noted in these questionnaires, and fully half of them had died. Now, it's not exactly a comparative study, but the discussion around this study was in a way that people were bored to death. They died of heart disease more than those people who said, I'm engaged in my work, I'm enjoying my work, I'm learning. It's interesting. It's anecdotal, but it certainly suggests something that we should pay attention to. That boredom is stress, but it's the kind of stress that goes underground. There's another thing I want to share with you right after our next break, uh, a definition of boredom that I thought was very interesting that was written about in the Wall Street Journal by three well-known scientists. So let's go into our second break. And we'll continue our discussion. I'll be here when you get back. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. 
If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Hi, this is Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Galsworth, and you're at the Visual Workplace. We're in the third segment of our show today. We are wrapping up our series of The Hero Within, and I'm talking to you about what I consider to be the need for change of mindset and heart set for management, and in a moment, I'll move to value-add associates operators. I mean, where do you land on the question, do heroes just happen in the case of rare individuals? outstanding, very moment of tremendous different, of distinctiveness? Or can we, in fact, take steps to groom the hero's mindset in ourselves and in others? Which one is more true for you? What is the impact of that? What are your assumptions? What are your beliefs? What I want to say is that there are parallels between the heroes in the workplace place and habits of mind for management, habits of mind and heart for operators, value-add associates. How do we cultivate an understanding of the hero at work, the hero within at work? How do we cultivate that understanding and how do we actually operationalize it? Now, I'm going to say to you, that what you need to operationalize the opportunity for people to grow into heroes is to, yes, have a meaningful challenge. And I'll tell you, that meaningful challenge is almost always <laughs> the company itself. The company needs to grow and change. There are plenty of opportunities for improvement. We know that. But not just the opportunity for improvement or, let's say, the need for improvement a meaningful challenge, but a methodology so you can dig in. And that methodology, so I'm giving you number one, meaningful challenge, number two, methodology, but I'm going to qualify to say two things, a systematic methodology, not just conceptual, but actual steps, and a methodology supported by principles. That's the third thing, principles. You have to have lever points where you can dig deeper in with the same shovel and get a different result. And that's the nature of principles. You're digging in with principles, but you have to find the principle in the challenge. Find a way to leverage the challenge, to change the challenge into a new state by the application of principles. Not just outcomes, but principles that bring you deeper and deeper into the process. And then the fourth element, there are four elements, meaningful challenge, number one, methodology, number two, principles, number three, and number four is time. You have to set aside time for improvement. Set aside time to take on this challenge. It cannot be coterminous with the work, with the work itself because the mind have to sh- has to shift into a mode that has some margin to think. Let me return for a moment to the definition that I wanted to share with you that we found in the Wall Street Journal. Three well-known scientists, Dr. Eastwood was the head of this particular 
piece, they were looking for, they wanted to specify a scientific definition of boredom instead of just yawn. They wanted something scientific. So they went through a lot of research papers. They went through decades of research papers in order to assemble this definition. And here's where they landed. And I found it very interesting. Quote, Boredom is an unpleasant state, triggered and prolonged by wanting but not being able to engage in satisfying activity. Boredom is an unpleasant state, triggered and prolonged by wanting but not being able, but being unable to engage in satisfying activity. What they're saying is boredom comes from a thwarted desire to grow. Something that satisfies me. A thwarted desire to engage with my world. Engage more completely with my life. Satisfying activity. It's very interesting. I think this definition is wide enough for us to use in companies, in our discussions, for what does it mean to help people? Why are we doing continuous improvement? So many companies know that they're not doing it just to move the dial on the bottom line. They're doing it so they can keep their employees and they can harness the power that each employee brings to grow that bottom line, grow the company, grow the social responsibility, to have more complete companies and a more complete contribution. So we structure that in. That's the challenge on the management side to adopt the hero mindset, the expectation that people have within them, the heroic, that there is more to us than hands and feet, even more to us than thinking. We need thinking that is focused. If not on a challenge, then say something meaningful. We want to and we have to contribute. We want to Serve, if you want to call it that. I do. I do it quietly. Mostly I say I want to contribute. But I really have a deep desire to serve, to help, to use the gifts that I've been given. And you do too. The gifts that we've been given to give to others. The gift becomes greater when we give it, when we give it away. And while the improvement revolution has been a strong opportunity to structure in heroic contributions. You cannot rely on people's imagination to do it. That's why I said before, it's not just the meaningful challenge, it's the methodology. Methodology gives us structure, gives us boundaries, and in that structure, we are free to move. It's a real paradox, a real contradiction. The methodology takes over when the imagination is exhausted, or if you will, it reignites the imagination. That's what you use the principles for. Principles are like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Wow, you just turned it upside down. We use principles extensively in visuality because visuality is such a vast language. We can't use a formula. Hmm? This week I, in the newsletter, I wrote about visuality and the two primes. There's a million ways to use those two prime principles to tell merely by looking, 
prime one and prime two to tell the difference merely by looking. Huge difference in performance capability between prime one and prime two. But we begin with prime one. You look at the newsletter, there's a really nice example there of a simple address in a pharmacy, hospital pharmacy. It'll all pop out at you. So the management mindset is there are heroes. It's my response. They're out there. They're waiting for me to give the opportunity for a contribution. That's part of my job. For the associate, the associate has a different challenge. This is the heart of the matter, if I may use that as a pun, the heart and the mind of the matter. When I talk about management's duty to cultivate the hero within, the one that's waiting, that is the first step. It won't come out, manager, Unless you provide a way for it to happen, it just won't. And the reason it won't is what I'm going to be talking about now. For decades, if not centuries, business and industry, capitalism if you will, have built a mindset for people who are in non-managerial positions that is both passive and repetitive. You know, kind of like a human machine. And that's okay. That was the beginning That was the way we used to do it. It's not that companies took the power away. It's just that they helped people forget that they were powerful. Companies didn't do very much at all to help people remember the power that they had equally in themselves as in the company owner or board. This is very much the same way that we help elephants forget that they are powerful, if you will allow me to draw this picture for you. Tie a baby elephant with a fat rope to a stake that's planted firmly in the ground and the little elephant will not be able to walk away. It will not because it's a baby elephant and because you've put the stake in firmly and it's a thick rope. Pull off the rope or pull it up and walk away. And do that. Keep doing that day after day as the elephant grows. And when the elephant becomes stronger than the stake and stronger than the rope, when the elephant becomes mighty in size, that elephant will not even think about, not give a moment's notice to pulling up the rope or pulling up the stake because it has become used to it. In fact, just tie the rope around an elephant's leg and it doesn't run away. In fact, it doesn't even need a stake and after a while it doesn't even need a rope. It has gotten into the habit of forgetting how powerful it is. It has gotten into the habit of becoming less powerful than you. We're just like that. Get us when we're young. And If you remember Ted from our first, very first radio show, when he wanted to go to work at 18, where his daddy had work and make wonderful jet fighters that were zooming across the sky of his childhood, he went in. That was young for him at that time, 18. He went in. He got the job. I met him, was it 27 or 37 years later? 
And he said, I wanted so much when I came here. What happened? Powerful childhood. And then it ended. The work did not provide an opportunity for contribution or expressiveness. What I do is me for that I came. It isn't just what I do is me. It is also for that I came. That's what I'm here for. These are parts of us that are dynamic, that seek and love challenge. I remember seeing a mushroom. A friend had told me about this. A mushroom pushing its way through asphalt. And it sat there, this little mushroom. Perhaps you've seen this. With a little asphalt cap on its head. It had pushed through asphalt. This tiny little mushroom. Its need, its power of life, of growth was so powerful within it. We have a name for This baby elephant thing, it is called in psychology the baby elephant syndrome. These powerfully gigantic elephants never test the limitations, the limits of their power because they have been groomed out of it. You see giant elephants standing passively with a rope tied around its ankle, its neck, not attached to anything at all. Think about this. The reverse of that is, well, your management has got to provide you the opportunity. I can honestly say it will be difficult for you to adopt this for yourself. You can do small things. You can bring excellence to your work. But in terms of continuous improvement, it's hard to do it on on your own if management doesn't provide for it in some way. But when it is provided for, take the opportunity and test Test yourself, test your will, test your your capabilities. Enjoy that part of your work. Be ready for it. You can be skeptical. Hopefully you're not cynical, but you can be cynical as well. I'm talking to associates and um, operators. To test these parts of yourself that happen during your shift and see what it's like to make a contribution there. Mm-hmm. So we have to now go into our third break, and I'll be here when you get back, and we'll wrap this up. Thank you. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. It's Gwendolyn. We're in the last part of our show today at the Visual Workplace. We are wrapping up our series on the hero within, and I am spouting platitudes, spouting slogans about how important it is to build the power within because it wants to come out. This is what we call the will. I have always felt it important, very important, for companies to go out of their way to define authentic empowerment. So that it includes the word power. And here's my favorite definition of authentic empowerment, which for me is a doorway to the hero within. Authentic empowerment widens the definition of who gets to get the power to think and to implement. Who gets to get the power to think and to implement. The power not only to think about change, but actually jump in there and help to make the change happen. Contribution. In visuality, when we talk about visuality as a vehicle for this, the entire methodology is built on this premise. You cannot have an empowered workforce unless power is shared, and you cannot share power unless you share information. We learned this in the 1960s during that little mini-revolution. So much has come afterwards. The liberation of information, which is what we do in a visual workplace. The liberation of information is the liberation of power. The power of what? The power of the human will. So we talk about the liberation of information is the liberation of the human will. The will wants to contribute. And it becomes powerful as this information is out there at our fingertips. And one of the ways that we do that is we feel a greater flow. Value-add associates cannot empower themselves, nor can they be expected to think up ways to make that happen. Why? Because they don't have any access to resources. They don't govern the resources. They don't even have command over themselves, but management does. And that's why management begins by defining authentic empowerment and then making it a mandate and structuring it in as an outcome. Until that point, empowerment remains the captive of your existing, your pre-existing power structure. The power in empowerment cannot be released. It will stay a prisoner, a hostage to your current power structure, which is usually command and control or demand and control. It will stay that way until or unless it is liberated through an incisive and intentional act of executive leadership. This is the mindset. And then you make the decision, three phases. You make the decision to do so. That's phase one. Corporate has decided. Phase two is you break the inertia of the lopsided power equation. 
you just break the inertia. You begin to implement. You begin to implement a methodology that's powerful enough to get your bottom line benefits, but also invert the power structure. It isn't that you are getting rid of the previous. It's that you are adding to it. The star tetrahedron inscribed in a sphere. The double, the double tetrahedron, the two pyramids sitting nested inside of each other. The pyramid of opposites. The result is alignment and the simultaneous definition of areas of commonality but also areas of enduring differences. Definition of a perfect marriage. <laughs> what you get is that these two nested triangles actually express a sphere. They're nested in a sphere. And the sphere is the universal symbol for unity. It's seen everywhere. The hero within pursuing that has huge implications for your organization, but it also has huge implications for you. If you're a manager, you will be changed by this process. And if you report to a manager, you will be changed by this process. Everyone benefits. Everyone. And the corporation prospers with a perhaps new definition of prosperity and a new definition of power. So this is what I wanted to talk to you about in this series. And I hope it excites you. And I hope that you will try some of these things out. For me, visuality is the premier methodology for it. But if you use any methodology that is powerful enough to make people think powerfully, the change is on its way. And I hope you do that. And I hope you tell me about it. I hope you send in photos and pictures and cards and letters and tell me how you're doing. Because it's a journey. It's going to take a while. But the destination is so entirely worth it. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I wish you, I wish you a very, very good summer. If this is summer when you're listening to, uh, to my conversation. And I will be here again in September. Please tune in and listen to your favorite and my favorite shows over the next few weeks. And in the meantime, and always, let the workplace speak. I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.